Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. We've researched from Statista, predicting that by 2026, global digital transformation spending is forecast to reach 3.4 trillion US dollars. And we've recent findings from Unleash showcasing that 70% of organizations have either maintained or increased investment in HR technology in 2023. It's clear that digital transformation in HR is a key focus for businesses across the globe. Staying on top of the innovation in the HR tech market is a challenge for HR leaders and professionals. To help us navigate this labyrinth, I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by one of the industry's leading analysts. Madeline Lurano is the founder of Aptitude Research, a firm dedicated to understanding the evolving conversation required by changes in how technology is delivered and utilized by organizations today. Madeline will share her insights from the recent HR technology conference in Las Vegas and Unleash World in Paris, the two most significant HR technology events on the planet. We'll explore the intriguing developments in generative AI and AI in 2023, and we'll also uncover the findings from Madeline's recent research studies on demystifying talent intelligence and the current state of strategic workforce planning. So let's get started with a brief introduction to Madeline's background and her view of what the role of an industry analyst entails. Madeline, welcome to the show. Um, before we get started, can you give a brief introduction to you, your background, and what the role of, of an industry analyst actually entails? Because I think some of our listeners probably aren't sure about that. Um, thanks, David. I'm so excited to be here. And um, I've been an analyst, as you said, for a very long time. So I've worked at some large analyst firms. I worked for Josh Burson for a while and then started Aptitude Research almost nine years ago. So we do research on HR technology. My areas of interest are talent acquisition, employee experience, talent intelligence is a big topic for us right now at Aptitude. And the the role of the analyst is a strange one because I think a lot of people are confused. I think it's probably um, more analysts probably are in this US market than um, in the UK market than, than what you'd see. But we cover and write about HR technology. We go to a lot of different conferences and speak about different technology providers and we're very very opinionated now we we had a great conversation i think the day before unleash started in paris and we were we were talking about the kind of the state of hr technology and some of the trends that that we're seeing in the space uh, and our listeners are always keen to to understand the key trends with within you know the you know the, the hr technology space which obviously attracts a lot of attention and, and investment you recently not just attended Unleash, but also the HR Technology Conference in Vegas the week before you did the double. And arguably, those are the two biggest HR technology events on, on the planet. You know, What were the key themes that emerged for, for you from the two events? Yeah, so, I mean, the events were amazing, right? Those are the two important ones that everyone is at and everyone should be at. When I think about the themes and the trends that we're seeing, it's all around AI and skills. Those seem to be the two big topics that everyone's talking about. And that will impact how we talk about other themes, strategic workforce planning, talent intelligence, recruitment retention. It's all around this idea of how do we use AI? How do we use a skills-based approach to make better decisions on the talent that we're going to attract to our organization and the talent that we need to retain? Yeah. And, and <laughs> there's definitely a lot about AI and definitely a lot about skills as well. And and this, you know, this year in particular, but it reminds me a little bit, I think we talked about this in Paris, actually, it reminds me a little bit of around 2017, 2018, and everyone was talking about AI and HR, and then it kind of 
didn't go completely away, but it certainly it moved to the sort of second tier of conversations. And obviously this year has been a huge buzz about generative AI, but also AI as well, you know, not just not just generative AI. And a number of tech firms have made and recent announcements um, in this area. Many of them made them in, in Vegas and, 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 and or Paris. You know, what are your thoughts on this topic? How much is hype? How much is reality? How can listeners, many of whom are HR practitioners, kind of see through some of the noise and, and, and really understand what's going on? Yeah, I think there are really two things that I'm seeing right now. And the first is the, the opportunity for what AI can do in HR is tremendous. And we haven't even seen you know, that full opportunity come to fruition. But the opportunity to be able to help recruiters, HR leaders, candidates, employees, managers do their jobs better and have a better experience is tremendous. And we're just at this, you know, beginning stages of where we're seeing that opportunity go. So I think that's one thing. And then the other piece of it that impacts that first theme is companies are still so confused about what is AI, what does AI do, and how they should think about it when evaluating providers. And I'll give you an example. There's, you know, a, a large provider in the space does very well, one of my my favorites to talk about. And they had a company approach them and say, we're interested in buying AI. Now we have budget for AI. And they said, well, what do you mean? Like, what are you buying? And they said, AI. You know, it just, there was just this vague abyss of what this was. So I think companies are very confused. I think many of them have moved past a lot of the misperceptions that existed around AI. I think they understand that it doesn't necessarily introduce bias. It doesn't necessarily provide a negative experience. It can actually do the opposite to both of those things. It can actually mitigate bias and it can provide a better experience. But I think companies are still so confused about what AI is and then what providers play in that space. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the whole AI conversation, there was a really good paper, I think, by BCG. It was published a few months ago around generative AI and HR. And it, and, and, and it talked actually, you know, that HR teams are now investing, which they thought it was going beyond the hype a little bit. And they didn't go into what they were investing in. But they talked about the two opportunities. One, exactly as you said, how can we make HR programs more effective, you know, to support all across the talent lifecycle, maybe build some efficiency in perhaps and take some of the repeatable tasks out of you know, HR pra- practitioners' day-to-day job and, and help them on that journey from support function to strategic partner. And then the other thing they talked about was around how HR can support the organization and play a coordinating role because, you know, obviously we read lots of things around how AI is it will impact on jobs or will impact on certain tasks, automate certain tasks. We need to think about how we uh, how we look at jobs in the future, you talked about the other big trend being skills, which suggests that we're kind of moving away from having the job at the center of how we organize HR to actually looking at skills. And it's a it's a very, very different world. I don't know, again, some guidance that you might offer to, to people listening or, or what you heard, uh, 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 you know, what you're hearing from vendors around this. It's very similar. It's, you know, this kind of situation where companies understand why they need a skills-based approach. We can't just think about jobs. We have to think about talent. And that's a big shift, right? And there are huge benefits to that. And then the other piece of it is companies are very confused about how to get started. They don't know. They know why they need a skills-based approach, but they don't know how to get started. They don't know what they need to get started. And we find that companies get stuck. We call it stuck on skills. They get stuck in the skills you know, strategy piece where they're either using the strategy and the change management as very separate components to the technology instead of a holistic approach, 
where they don't know where to start. They think they need to assess all the skills that they have within their organization, which is you know, a monumental task that will take five years, or they don't know if they should be looking at technology providers or consulting firms to help them with that process. And when we ask companies what they're doing in that skills-based approach, companies that are stuck on where to get started, like 67% of them are just using their own internal resources to think about and assess the skills within the organization. And that is incredibly time-consuming. And we know that's incredibly manual work. It's not dynamic. It's not what skills should be, which is a dynamic approach. And I think you, you struck, you know, I start there that one of the key things about it is it's a focus on talent and what, you know, certainly when, uh, when I see the example that IBM and let's spend some time at IBM as most listeners will be aware during the time when IBM was kind of taking a skills-based approach to, to talent, what it found, what, what, what I found there was that it, it, it actually put the employee more at the center. Um, and we, they were thinking about how we, how we can understand, first of all, understand skills and the gap between what we've got and what we need, I guess, for, for the strategy of the organization, which is obviously good. And it's great that HR can support with that. But then more about that is how we use this to support learning and, and, and actually recommend learning um, opportunities to people. That's actually going to help them with their career within the company. And we can tell them, for example, if you, if you do acquire these skills, then this is a sort of career path you can have in your organization as well. So that's good for employees and good for the organization. But at the heart of it, it seems to be about putting the employee at the center, which I think is a good uh, progression from maybe where we were. And I, I don't know what your thoughts are around that, because I guess it's such a confusing marketplace because there are so many vendors out there that support part of the skills journey. I don't think there's one organization that supports across the whole life cycle and and all the various things that you might need to do in an organization to really use skills proficiently. Yeah, it's such a good point. And I think that's exactly right. I think what skills is not new, right? We've been talking about it for a long time, you know, whether it was at IBM or we've done, you know, briefings together there. But where we're at now is that it's not skills just for the benefit of the organization, which is something that employees have no input in. They just are are waiting and trying to either understand, you know, how they fit into the skills framework, companies are developing them for a very long period of time and they don't really connect employee and employer. Where we're seeing the skills-based approach now is that it's the benefit for the individual. And that's a huge shift. It's saying, we're gonna actually see you for who you are, for your potential, which is a big word now in HR tech, for your learnability. And we're gonna connect you with the right career opportunities for you in the future. And also it's not just internal mobility. I mean, that's the most obvious use case of a skills-based approach, but for talent acquisition too, to be able to say to candidates, we're not just gonna pick apart the keywords on your resume and try to match you to a job because we know that doesn't work. And we know that limits a lot of individuals, especially when you start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but we're gonna see you for the complete picture of who you are. And that includes not just those keywords on your resume, but all of that potential for where you can help drive change within our organization. This episode is sponsored by HiBob. Global companies often have dozens of HR tech apps that very few people use. HiBob's vision was to create an HEM suite that everyone working at a global company actually wants to use. In fact, it's not unusual for 70 to 80% of employees to connect to Bob on a regular basis. HR professionals use Bob for greater oversight and visibility of the business. Managers use Bob for insights and resources to lead people more effectively. Employees use Bob for tools and information to connect, be productive and grow. 
Finance uses Bolt for business information and analysis, and IT uses it for orderly task management and accessing people data. Go to HiBob.com, that's H-I-B-O-B.com, and meet Bob, the modern HR platform that offers HCM for everyone. So something that's very much linked to skills and, and another area I think that it, it, there is increasing confusion around is talent intelligence. And I know you've done some recent research around that and, you know, around demystifying talent intelligence. And I think you highlight how you're seeing that many HR tech providers are labeling themselves as talent intelligence, which tells you that, that, that there's, there's an important area for a start, um, when in fact they are not. I mean, could you talk to us a little bit more about this and, and why do you think they are referring to themselves as talent intelligence? and and how is it affecting, you know, what we might call the real, um, the real talent intelligence or talent acquisition? Yeah, it's so interesting. So we just did the study of talent intelligence, and you know, a couple of things come to mind. First is when we do surveys, typically we get a very small sample of CHROs that participate. And this study, we had over a hundred CHROs take this survey, which to me just screams at how important this topic is for organizations. But there was a big disconnect between how HR is thinking about talent intelligence and then what senior executives in a company even know about talent intelligence, you know, where they're all pushing skills, they don't really know what talent intelligence is. So there's a gap in communication and how this is being, you know, translated internally within an organization. So I think that's the first area of concern. It's like, this is such a popular topic, but there's very little understanding about it. We found over 70% of companies are increasing their investment in HR and talent intelligence. And only 20, I'm going to see if I get this right, but I think it was 27% um, know the providers that play in that space and only 28% actually are able to define what talent intelligence is. So we know it's important. We know it's so exciting, but we have no idea what it is and we don't know the providers. And that's, you know, a big fault, I think, of our industry in general. I think we have a lot of providers that are using talent intelligence as marketing messaging we're seeing providers, any provider that has access to data, that collects data, that is analyzing data, is basically saying we're talent intelligence because they think it's some kind of data play. And that's not what it is. I mean, talent intelligence is exactly what we've been talking about this, this whole conversation. It's using the power of AI and skills to help make better decisions around talent. You know, it's very different than a traditional system of record within, you know, core HR. It's very different than an ATS system, than an LMS system. It's drawing insights from the data to better inform how companies think about talent. And a lot of it's external data. A lot of it's external data, and that's the other piece of it. It's not just the internal data, it's external data as well. So moving to the sort of kind of more investment in technologies, we, we've literally just launched our um, Insight 222 People Analytics Trends Research, and we've, this is the fourth year we've done it now. You know, as someone who lives and breathes um, HR tech, you know, what areas of HR tech are you seeing the most investment in? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think companies are still investing. We find the same thing. When you look at kind of investment and how it's changed, despite all of the uncertainty of what the next year will bring, companies are still investing and that continues to be the same. We're seeing everything from just replacement, like still replacement for ATS, still replacement for CRM, continuing. And at the same time, companies looking at areas like AI and skills-based, you know, technology providers to be able to provide more of either a foundational layer or what we call kind of the cool layer. Once you've replaced kind of these core systems and the systems of record, how do you get 
real intelligence or how do you use AI to you know provide a better experience and draw deeper insights. So there's a lot of investment there. Um, companies are definitely still focused on experience. I think there was a lot of belief that even if hiring slows down, the candidate experience won't matter as much. And that definitely doesn't seem to be the case. But one area that was really interesting, I don't know if you noticed this as well, either at HR Tech or Unleash, is that the the focus on frontline worker um, and technology to support the frontline worker has been, thank gosh, <laughs> like better than we've ever seen it. You know, I think for the first time, companies recognize that, okay, this is 82 million workers in the United States are hourly workers. For a lot of companies, frontline workers make up the majority of their workforce, and yet we're making them go through the exact same experience as we would for professional hiring and salaried hiring. And, or, you know, that's true for talent management as well. So to see all of these solutions, whether it's employee experience or workforce management or talent acquisition, really focus on the frontline worker, um, I think has been very exciting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you see any specific examples that, that you've seen of companies that are doing that well? You know, I, I know there's there's been a lot about Walmart, I think, hasn't there? Walmart, yeah. And I think, you know, McDonald's is a case study we've done uh, that we've referenced quite a bit and what they're doing. I mean, conversational AI is a game changer for frontline workers. I mean, many of them don't have laptops. Many of them don't have, you know, access to a computer or even access to transportation to go in for a job interview or kind of, you know, think about that if they're not getting the job. So to be able to provide an experience through a chatbot or through a conversational interface is a game changer. And we're seeing companies take full advantage of that. We always saw Paradox launch an ATS. So their customers like McDonald's or Lowe's or um, you know Great Wolf Lodge have all had the benefit of being able to use a conversational interface instead of an ATS. And that, you know, that means everything you're doing from the time you apply for a job as a candidate to the time you accept the offer is done through essentially through chat. And that's a very different experience that, you know, has not been available before. So I think we're seeing companies kind of embrace that through some of these providers. Um, you know, there's Harry, if you know this provider, so they kind of focus on employee experience and talent acquisition for frontline workers, raised, I think, $43 million. They announced that last month. That's a big, you know, I think that's just kind of supports this whole idea that frontline workers are really at the the forefront of where a lot of technology advances are happening. And then there's text. I mean, text-based solutions are so important and we just still don't see it as much. I mean, we did some research on it last year and I, I thought the, you know, report would just, you know, be interesting, but it was like one of our most popular reports. Companies still don't understand either how to use text or um, how they can provide a better experience either to employees or candidates through text. And it's, I mean, again, it just changes everything in terms of experience. And I know you've conducted some research recently around strategic workforce planning as well. This was one of my favorite topics this year. And someone asked me, I think at the end of last year, like what what trend do you think will be the most important for 2023? And I said, strategic workforce planning. And we kind of doubled down on the research that we did this year on it. And we did in partnership with Equate, which is you know an amazing provider. Um, and I think that the changes I've seen in strategic workforce planning over the past few years have been, you know, just tremendous. Like we're seeing companies not necessarily, you know, relying just on Excel spreadsheets for this, the technology advances, using AI, using a skills-based approach to be able to understand both the supply and the demand for talent to do dynamic scenarios, 
to, you know, really be able to link strategic workforce planning with a lot of these other trends that we've been talking about. And, um, you know, I think the piece there is like the dynamic piece. It's not something that you're just doing at a point in time and then forgetting about it till next year. It's constant. You know, there's a whole community of like workforce planning professionals for organizations. And this is an amazing community and there's different resources out there to get involved with them. But not every company has a dedicated role for workforce planning. So, you know, I, I think when I think about even providers that are innovating in this space, and a lot of providers made announcements this year, I mean, Equate is really interesting because they launched, you know, this kind of workforce planning for everyone through a mobile experience. They, it's, you know, kind of a great um, experience where you don't have to be a strategic workforce planning professional to be able to see some of the benefits um, and to, to run some of these scenarios for, for your organization. So a lot of really interesting things happening in this space. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. What I'm interested, though, I mean, we we work. Some of the organisations we work with are, you know, big Fortune 500 companies, and some are more, you know, further down the line with proper strategic workforce planning and, and the skills based approach that, that others. Within the sample, within the within the research you did, where were they these these companies in terms of strategic workforce planning maturity? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think. Um, companies are still mostly very immature with their their strategic workforce planning. They're either kind of just getting started or they're just thinking about headcount analysis. And I think for a lot of organizations, that's what makes sense. But in that sense, it just becomes a layoff tool. It's just something you use to be able to either justify layoffs or to help, you know, executives understand what you need to do to cost cuts and, you know, or save money in terms of people. It's not really thinking about everything we talked about with skills-based approach, which is how do we think about strategic workforce planning, not just for the organization as you know a layoff tool, but also for individuals too, to be able to say, um, okay, there is a plan in place. I understand a little bit more about the goals for my organization. And you know, it's kind of all built on the same idea of the synergies between an employer and an employee. And as we said, if you can start linking that to learning, if you can start linking that to recruiting, if you can start linking that to career pathing and, and all those things, and then then that's a win-win. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, back to the ownership piece, I think we're seeing a lot of it in people analytics too, but sometimes in talent acquisition, sometimes in HR. And I think companies get stuck on the ownership piece. It's like, who should own it? And then where should it sit? Then who's responsible for it? And then what type of technology supports it? And I think we have to move past that and say, it doesn't matter. Like this is a benefit for every single part of our organization. It, the benefits are far beyond HR. So how do we kind of just embrace this as our, you know, our goals for our organization? From the research you did, what characteristics do the organizations that, that are 
you know, successfully looking at the skills-based um, workforce planning doing, you know, from, you know, from, from companies that are maybe at less mature levels? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think there's support like internally for everyone's on the same page that we need strategic workforce planning. It's not just a point in time. It's not just something that we do in an Excel spreadsheet. So there's that piece of it. I think the skills-based approach goes hand in hand. If you've embraced and you move towards a skills-based approach, then you're going to have more strategic workforce planning. Um, and I think kind of the final piece is you have to use the right technology provider. This is strategic workforce planning is not something that can happen on an Excel spreadsheet. It's just not. That just becomes a headcount tool. So if you really want to be able to think about dynamic scenarios, if you really want to think about how can you, you know, understand that supply and the demand for talent, you need to have a technology provider to do that. And um, you know, that's that can be from a couple different options. There's providers that are core HR systems that have workforce planning capabilities that are a little bit lighter, um, but maybe can help some companies get started. There's, you know, platform providers that do talent acquisition or talent management or people analytics that are offering now some type of type of modules or capabilities there. And then there's peer play providers like Equate that we were just talking about that focus solely on this area of strategic workforce planning. So Technology is really helping companies accelerate their maturity into into strategic workforce. What what tips would you offer to HR professionals listening on maybe first how to keep abreast of the developments in the space because it's it's a fast moving space, and then two the key considerations to keep in mind when when buying HR technology. It's such a good question. I love this topic. I could talk about this for an hour, but it's so it's crazy <laughs> to me because. During the pandemic, I always saw companies buying like crazy, like all of these technology. It doesn't surprise me to see companies using seven different strategic workforce planning providers because in talent acquisition, they were just doubling and tripling down on everything, like multiple CRMs, multiple sourcing providers, uh, multiple ATSs even, and none of them were integrating. They couldn't make sense of it. So we kind of came to this point, you know, in the past year where companies were saying, okay, we don't really know what's happening in our world and in the labor market for the next year. So we can't just keep buying tech. That doesn't work. We have to be more thoughtful, thoughtful about our HR technology strategy. So, you know, companies are still investing like we've both seen, but they're being more thoughtful. And I think that's a good thing. But I think my recommendations for when you're evaluating or trying to make sense of the space is what we talked about earlier, to your point, David, is start internal. What are the challenges you're looking to solve as an organization? what has not been successful in your investments in technology in the past. Start, Luke, we call it journaling almost. I heard an organization like refer to it as this. It's, you know, not dear diary, but how do you take notes and just start to get curious internally about what works and what doesn't? What do people want? What do they not want? And just start to get curious about that internal piece of it before you even start looking. Um, and then once you've kind of have a clear understanding of what you need and what challenges and problems you're looking to solve, start to be very diligent about how you evaluate providers. And it's not just getting an RFP and going out and looking at different product capabilities. It's looking at the full picture of the provider. What is the company? What does the leadership team look like? Um, diversity, equity, inclusion is a big priority for organizations. How do we think about how these companies and these providers approach DEI within their own organization? What's the percentage of their team that's focused on sales and marketing versus focus on product development versus customer support. If customer support has been an issue for your organization in the past with different technology providers, you want to make sure that the providers you're going to use have a good percentage of their employees focused on that. So start to really pick apart the whole company, 
you know, what does turnover look like? What does turnover look like on the sales team? What does turnover look like on the customer support team? And then start to look at the product, not just what you'd find in an RFP, but start to look at what the product roadmap is. It's a very appropriate question to ask. A lot of companies don't ask it. And then the kind of the final piece is thinking about the differentiators. I always ask providers and demos and briefings, like, what do you think your top three differentiators are? And then I like to see if that matches with how I view their differentiators. And it often doesn't. Right. Last two questions, Madeline, and we're going to, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I've got one of the leading industry analysts in the space. I'm going to get you look look into your crystal ball on, on two things. So first, we're going to stay with technology. You know, What are the key developments you expect to see in the HR technology space in 2024? And who are the technology firms to look out for? Maybe the ones that you're excited by. Yeah. So I, you know, I think generative AI, I think people either love it or hate it. And I am fully on board with it. I think what it can do and the potential it has within a lot of these existing systems is just tremendous again. So I think we're going to see companies using gener- generative AI more, whether it's open LLMs like ChatGPT or whether it's, you know, kind of developing their own you know, we're, we're using private LLMs in a different way. I think we're going to see more and more of that. And I think that's very exciting. But I think there's not a lot of clarity around if companies, like what what they're using for AI, if this is, you know, kind of what they're developing as part of their AI roadmap, or if they're using generative AI. And I think companies have to get really strategic when evaluating providers about what's what um, and what these, you know, AI roadmaps look like. So I think we're going to see it. I think it's exciting, but I think we have to be careful too. And then I think we're going to see um, more companies kind of move away from just these early stages of a skills-based approach to really starting to see more case studies and examples of ROI on the skills front. And I think that's super exciting. Um, I think we're seeing, we're, do, we're doing this huge project on CRM. So I'm very interested in the CRM market right now in talent acquisition, and we're seeing providers either completely innovate that space, but we're seeing a lot of sourcing providers offering better solutions in CRM. LinkedIn just made a major announcement with their CRM Connect that integrates with companies like Aperture and Eightfold and Beamery um, to be able to really kind of, you know, provide a, a better recruiter experience through CRM. So um, I think there's a lot of that's happening. And I think it's really exciting. I think strategic workforce planning will continue to be a big theme. I don't think we're going to see huge advances on the contingent workforce front. I think it's, you know, a lot of companies understand this idea of looking at talent holistically, but we're just seeing that still being really owned by procurement. So if we can get a skills-based approach and if we can think about talent intelligence and even strategic workforce planning in a more strategic way, then I think the contingent will follow. But I think that those pieces need to happen first. What do you think will be the key priorities for, for HR the function as we head into 2024? I think it needs to be linking that recruitment and retention piece. We talked about that and we did some research on it this year. And I think I didn't realize how much of an impact that can have on organizations. I mean, I think everything we're talking about is not just in this one silo of what could be talent acquisition or talent management or employee experience or people analytics. We have to link this into broader goals. And um, I think if we think about it through that lens of there are, you know, basically organizational goals that intersect all of these different areas, then we can see, you know, more maturity in a lot of the things that we talked about, whether that's, you know, talent intelligence or skills or strategic workforce planning. Um, but we have to think about those outcomes as not just something that's serving 
how we find external talent and then how we retain internal talent. We have to think about providing a consistent experience and driving kind of the same outcomes for, for the organization. Yeah, and I think that, as you said, linking it to the outcomes that the organization is trying to achieve, which you know, maybe if, if there's something that HR, we can do better as HR moving forward is, is really connecting what we do to organizational outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the other piece would be to really embrace AI. I think for companies that are still, you know, whatever stage you're at, if you're still a little bit unsure about using AI or how to evaluate providers, um, it's gonna, it's not going anywhere. AI is not a trend that we're not gonna be talking about in a few years. It's here to stay. It's changing how work is getting done. It's changing the experience for your employees. It's changing the experience for your candidates. It's changing the experience for anyone that works within the HR function. So we have to embrace it. We have to recognize that, you know, it can drive a lot of good and value within the organization, but we also have to be very careful about how we evaluate providers. And that's a big change that everyone's been striving for and wanting and hasn't happened. But if AI can not just lift the administrative burden, but make experiences better so that we still have jobs and we're still working, but we actually like our work. And there are very few people that can say that right now. Um, but that's to me, maybe that's too optimistic, but I think that that is what the goal should be. I love that. That's a great way to end it. AI can make life, uh, may work better. I mean, that's, yeah. Hey, that would be good. Make us like work better. Make us like well, work we better. both like our jobs. We do. Madeline, we're so we're, we're okay. Yeah. But. We're <laughs> Thank you so much for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, find you on social media, find out more about your work at Aptitude? We will... Um, put links to some of the studies that you mentioned, the one around talent and intelligence, the one around workforce planning. Um, I will probably get those links off you afterwards. But yeah, how, how can people find out more about what you do? Um, thanks for asking. Yeah. So um, you can go to our site, aptituderesearch.com. There's lots of research. It's all free. You can download it. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter, so not, not hard to find. I work with um, Kyle Lagunas, who's a very well-respected analyst as well, and we're growing our team. Um, we have some adjunct analysts as well. So, Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Madeline. I know listeners are going to enjoy this episode. Um, everyone wants to know about what's happening in the HR tech space. Um, so thank you very much for uh, for, for your time and, and expertise and, and, and sharing so much with us as well. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us on this journey into the fast-paced world of HR technology with Madeline Lurano. I hope you found this conversation as inspiring and insightful as I did. If you did enjoy this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Until then, take care and stay well.